Hi, I'm Trip. I spent the first part of the 21st century as a film snob, rejecting any sort of mainstream comedy. And I'm Ross. I'm slowly film by film taking Trip through the films he sadly dismissed or smartly avoided until now. Welcome to A Trip Through Comedy, a podcast examining studio comedies from around the turn of the century. Trip, our exit today has us looking at two high school coming-of-age films that take place in two different decades. First, we have Outside Providence, directed by Michael Carrenti and written by Carrenti and the Fairley Brothers. Second, we have Drive Me Crazy, written by Todd Strasser and Rob Thomas and directed by John Schultz. Both films show seniors in high school trying to navigate their social lives while also balancing complicated romantic entanglements. Outside Providence, taking place in the 1970s, looks at a working-class guy who ends up at a Connecticut boarding school. Drive Me Crazy takes place in the present as two teenagers prepare for their high school's centennial. So, Trip, as a teenager at the time, do you have any memory of either of these movies? No, not not at all. That um, Nothing at all. Although, watching Outside Providence, I did have some flashbacks. Two, I knew I had seen snippets of it on Siskel and Ebert. Um, and watching parts of it was like, oh, I remember Gene Siskel ripping this scene apart. So that moved, like, there was a little bit of deja vu with Outside Providence. Drive Me Crazy, I had never heard of. I am still not convinced it's a real movie after I've seen it. But we can, we can talk about these. There's no context for me whatsoever. Did you, were you aware of these movies at all? So Outside Providence, no. And, Quite frankly, I was stunned at the end of the movie when the credits rolled that it was written by the Fairley Brothers. Like, that blew my mind. We'll talk about and that a little later. That's when it reminded me. I was like, oh, I do remember the conversation of the Fairley Brothers had written this movie because they were so huge in the late 90s. Yeah. Right? With especially the year after There's Something About Mary yeah. that um, I do remember being cognizant of that conversation. Yeah. Drive Me Crazy, I was aware of. I didn't actually see it till I saw it actually for the first time this year. And not like I watched this much earlier this year. Gave Just you for a, fun, for reasons I don't yes, understand. Yes. Us. I should actually say because this episode's coming out in January. So actually last year in uh, 2023, to the point where actually you you messaged me, I believe, and were like, Ross, why are you scaring me? This this episode is not coming up anytime soon. I was like, yeah. no, I just wanted to watch a thing. <laughs> but I was aware of Drive Me Crazy for two reasons one this movie's britney spears song was a huge song Mm -hmm. you drive me crazy was a big deal and that music video had both melissa joan hart and uh adrian grenier in it and the second reason i knew it was because of melissa joan hart who at the time i absolutely knew and we'll talk about later she is Mm -hmm. a big tv star at this point especially for someone of my age who was like 10 or 11 we knew Mm -hmm. melissa joan hart like yes. we do it. Um, so yeah, I was we'll get to that though, because first we have to talk about outside Providence, Ross. Yeah. Trip, so why don't you uh, explain what the plot of this one is? Um, I will try. This movie has the worst character names ever. And so I apologize <laughs> now for how uh, I'm going to butcher this, but uh, we'll figure this out. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, Outside Providence centers around Tim Dunphy. His friends call him Dumpf, and his father calls him Dildo. 
Uh, a rising high school senior living in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. He comes from a working class family and spends most of his time hanging out and smoking weed and drinking with his group of friends. After getting in trouble with the law, he is forced by his father to go to a fancy boarding school in Connecticut called Cornwall Academy. If he fails to graduate, the terms of his parole will be vacated and he will spend one year in jail. While there, he does not take his classes seriously and is constantly getting in trouble with the Sturm Dornmaster, Mr. Funderburk. Despite these issues, he finds a group of friends and even ends up falling in love with a girl at their sister school. Jane is studious and expecting to go to Brown next year. Dunf spends the year trying to keep his head above water while also navigating a complicated relationship with his father. While his grades start to improve based on the prodding by Jane, things come to head when Funderburk catches Dunf, Jane, and some of his friends, such as Jizz, all in a dorm room, drinking and smoking. While the guys all get off with warnings and some work hours, Dunf discovers that Jane has been kicked out of school. This causes her acceptance to Brown to be rescinded, so Dunf goes to Brown and pleads her case to the dean. He also discovers that their group had been ratted out by their friend Wheeler, who did it so Funderburk would recommend him to get into Yale. Wheeler's name is also Jack, not to be confused with Jackie, Dunf's brother. Uh, in the end, Jane's acceptance is reinstated, Dunf graduates, and he plans on attending the Community College of Rhode Island in the fall, while Jane attends Brown just down the street. So, Ross, did this movie end up making the grade for you, or did it flunk out? Yeah, this this movie's a confounding film. I think <laughs> it's yeah, it's I yeah. think it's a movie that is at war with itself. There are moments in this movie where I think it wants to actually try to be this very serious coming-of-age story. And there are moments in this movie, especially between uh, Sean Hatosi, who plays Dumpf, and Alec Baldwin, who is his father, where they really try to have this, like, domestic drama moments of, like, their strained relationship and these conversations that they need to have about a, a really kind of, like, scarring childhood that it sounds like... Um, you know, with his mother committing suicide, uh, and you know, that whole kind of lingering over their family, uh, you know, Jackie, his brother is in a wheelchair, you know, and, and the difficulties that are going on there, but the movie never really fleshes that out in any full way enough for it to fully work. And then you have like the fairly brothers of it all where mm -hmm. it's like, then there's these jokes that are like confounding, like in their, like the the stuff they do to Jackie in this movie is a very Fairly Brothers thing. Yeah, and, Jackie is in a wheelchair. We should add, and a very yes. sweet kid. He's yes. quite a bit younger than the other ones. Definitely looks up to his brother. Um, and he and his brother have a very sweet relationship. Like his brother is yes. really good with him in in a nice way. And then when his brother goes off, Jackie just yes, it's question mark. We don't know. Don't worry. Uncomfortable. About it. Yeah, his friends take care of him and. He crashes into their van at one point, oh, and he's just, it's weird, and it's, yeah. Yeah, what about you, Trip? What did you think of this this movie? Yeah, um, I, I thought this movie was a mess, that it, it didn't work. I didn't even, I, I think it's trying to do something domestic, you said, and that drama, but 
it feels more like a parody of domestic drama than any other sort of real drama. The stakes here are so weird and non-existent. Um, I just, I found it all kind of a painful mess of, um, bad versions of a million movies we've seen before. Nothing in this movie surprised me except when it just made bafflingly bland choices. So yeah, I, I found almost nothing of this movie worth really recommending or highlighting. So basically this is, this feels like, right? We talked about this already a little earlier, right? This is the Fairley brothers at the peak of their powers, right? They mm-hmm. are coming off of There's Something About Mary mm-hmm. in 98, which is a massive hit right mm-hmm. dumb and dumber had done very well in 94 so basically kingpin is in there in like 97 yeah which is also a big hit and so they they basically kind of you know have this ability to get something made and this is based on peter Fairley's book that he wrote in 1988 that is mm-hmm. largely autobiographical and it's a stand-in cornwall is not a real thing in connecticut as you know the Connecticut person here on this this podcast. It is not Cornwall Academy is not real. It is <laughs> loosely, clearly based on uh, the Kent School, which is in Kent, Connecticut, which is, I believe, actually where Peter Fairley went. And so there, this clearly feels like the Fairley brothers basically were like, "This has been kicking around. We have all this juice. This is like the blank check." But they don't direct it, which is kind of odd. And they give it also part of this writing credit to Michael Carrenti, who is coming off of making American Buffalo, which is something I would never have expected that this would have yeah. then followed up, right? And had kind of made this smaller movie, Federal Hill, in 94. He seems like a very different vibe, which is maybe where you get the kind of, you know, clash. First off, you say the book seems largely autobiographical, which baffles me, because everything about Cornwall feels like so stereotypical of what one of these schools is that it feels like they've never actually been on one of these school campuses, but they've watched all of the movies that take place on them. So it's like, let's take a little bit of Dead Poet Society in here, and let's take a little bit of, you know, uh, Tin, whatever that was, the from the late 80s, and like there's a little bit of Animal House for good measure, and like, let's mix all of this together and see what happens. And it just... Nothing in this movie is believable at all, from the characters to the situations to any of it. It all just feels so stereotypical. Yes, I would also say that comes from the fact that most of the characters in this movie are pretty loosely sketched. There's Mm. Sean Hatosi, who is Dumpf, right? is basically coming off of being in the faculty the year before a movie we discussed a little bit a couple weeks ago because of Kevin Williamson mm-hmm. and you know it's a much better thing but he he has obviously not been in much he did in and out 2 years earlier he's in the postman in 97 also um and this year he's in three other movies besides this anywhere but here simpatico and the joy riders and mm-hmm. um you know it so- took me it took me most of the movie to realize who he was <laughs> and that's he's one of the kids in in and out yeah and um but he's like the sort of uninteresting one of that group of kids in in and out which sort of carries <laughs> over into this i guess like yeah he's he's not he's fine yeah, there's he's no fine. real charisma there no but Luckily, no one else really has much charisma around him, so it's not like he's overshone by anybody else, you know? So this is where I disagree, because there's one person, one person, Mm -hmm. and this is where I show that I have an undying love of a certain 
a certain person in this movie. And that is Amy Smart. I love Amy Smart. Mm -hmm. I think she is tons of fun. I think that part has almost nothing for her to do, but she is a delight every time she's on screen. And that is only because of her, not because of the part. And I think- She's sweet and delightful. I don't know if like she shines anybody off the screen in this. Well, I, I think compared to Amy, everyone else. I think like... I'm nothing against Amy Smart. I think yeah. she's she's fine in this. But you're right. There's nothing there. And e- even for as wonderful as she is, the lack of chemistry between the two of them is so vacant that you know it's even hard for her to sell some of those scenes with him. I think there's a real question as to why this girl would be an any way shape or form interested in him and i think it's it's such a this movie never seems to she is clearly extremely smart Mm -hmm. she's extremely motivated she is somebody who is kind of cool she seems like as we've kind of talked about these sketches it's like the idea of a guy dreams of like the cool girl she is introduced as the coolest girl in the school right Who's and, also brilliant, who's also gorgeous, who's and see, also, and guess what? She also likes to go smoke pot in the woods like the rest of us. And she's also a secret bad girl. And like, yeah. it's But there's no examination of what her life is outside of almost their interactions going to the woods. She seems mm-hmm. to have no other friends. We see her throwing a frisbee early on. That, so clearly there's some people she interacts with. Yeah. But we have no idea of what she's doing. Mm -hmm. And again, I think despite all of this, every time she's on screen, I'm at least interested in her. Mm -hmm. And that is only solely based off the fact that I think Amy Smart is a charismatic, you know, just charming person. It has nothing to do with anything that this movie gives her. It is is really tough. And she, you know, this year is also the same year as Varsity Blues, which is not a movie we're going to cover. I think it's on the borderline Mm -hmm. of whether it's a comedy fully or not, uh, but was also a big movie. Uh, We will talk about her follow-up next season, for sure, which is Road Trip, which is what she makes in 2000. Um, That is for another day. But uh, yeah, I think this movie just, it's such a bizarre combination and nobody else there's a lot of people that are randomly popping up in this movie one of his friends is actually uh the actor who plays young bill denbro in the it miniseries from 1990 i had to look him up i was like hold on i recognize that face is that jonathan Um, brandis i think so uh uh no because yes it is uh jonathan brandis who was a hero of mine in the early 90s because he was lucas on the classic television series sequest dsv Ah. which i rushed home every sunday night to make sure i caught uh the newest episode of of sequest um when it later came out on dvd when i was in my 20s i bought season one and got about four episodes through and decided that was enough for me (laughs) <laughs> but uh but uh was a was a favorite of mine of course Jonathan Brandis the kid on the submarine who had the talking dolphin See, so there um, we go yes uh, so. yeah there's just i agree with you the, the 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 teachers have like there's nothing to them there's no, no. Expl- like there's nothing there it is it's just it's a movie that feels like it was so clearly a passion project for the Fairleys. and it's based on Peter's book and they it was like we got you know it's the blank check moment right mm-hmm. we're getting this script made right uh, yeah it, it, yeah I, I don't even know what to really s- say about it ross because it just it's a dud all around so 
is there anyone besides Amy Smart, who we've <laughs> clarified, is there anyone who's going to stand out to you? Do you, do you want to highlight any of these supporting actors in here? So I did find Alec Baldwin giving a performance that was at least, again, trying to do something. I do find it very interesting in certain of these scenes, of, and especially when you're trying to, if you're trying to do drama, right? And this movie's trying to, I'm not saying it's succeeding, I'm, but I think it's trying at points. You could do a heck of a lot worse than casting Alec Baldwin to help you with this. Because Alec Baldwin is starting to figure out, especially by the late 90s, that he is really good as character actor Alec Baldwin. He's really good at that. He's not, you know, the Hollywood leading man thing that he's tried to do in the early 90s, or they were trying to force him into, maybe wasn't always the best thing. He really was good as kind of these supporting turns and these kind of much better things. There are much better examples than this movie of Alec Baldwin doing that. But I think it's very hard to find um, many people who come out of this movie as like performances that you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's one I want to highlight. But I, I think Alec Baldwin's not bad in this movie. Ross, you are right that he is trying something, that he's starting to figure something out. Um, unfortunately, I think he's horrible in this movie. <laughs> I think, I don't know what that accent is. It's embarrassing. I think he is pushing himself so much. Part of it is also the script, right? Like he has real horrible stuff to to work with. But what reminded me that I had seen this on Siskel and Ebert was showing that scene of um, him and Dunf outside the bar where they come to terms with what uh, really happened to their mom. And it's kind of the quote-unquote emotional center of the movie. And it is so fake and false at every turn and just neither of them can do anything with the script and so i think baldwin's really bad in this i'm sorry but uh, i will um, agree I with think, you on the accent he'll do it better in 30 rock when he does the boston accent when he has to do Jack yeah i i don't i don't know what this is but they all have weird accents that none of them match at all either but um yeah no i thought i thought baldwin was really bad and i thought those scenes were some some of the the worst of the movie because just no one knows how to handle them at all and they do they feel more like parody than um any sort of emotional intrigue here the yeah i think the problem is is you also use something like his mother commits suicide and you don't really examine it you don't really go far into it it feels again everything feels forced it feels and then forced. your mother committed suicide because she never left the house, but no one really remembers that she never left the house. And his one memory of her is getting a rifle for Christmas and them all shooting the Christmas tree. And it's just, it's weird and uncomfortable. And yeah, yeah. I, I, it feels again, I think a much better movie can grapple with the stuff that I think this movie wants to grapple with. A difficult mm-hmm. family relationship, working class, you know, widowing father, this father who doesn't know how to really show fully emotions and deal with this stuff. There's better versions of this that you could find in probably many movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bad thing to have in your movie, but this movie doesn't do it in any way good justice. I agree with you on that. No. Um, it, 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 it fails in 
any attempt that it makes to do anything emotional, except for one moment. And this is where I'm going to transition um, into my supporting turn, which is George Wendt, who is, we all know, a, a sitcom icon, right? As Norm from Cheers. Also a really good actor who doesn't get to act a lot outside of kind of sitcom-y stuff. So Alec Baldwin has this like weekly poker game that we see a couple times and it's George Wendt and Richard Jenkins and a couple other guys who come over to play poker. Um, And so um, George Wendt is one of them. And in a scene, I don't know why it is in the movie and it is not a very good good scene but they start talking about gay people and debating as to whether rock hudson um is actually gay or not and somehow it gets to teasing george went and somehow it leads to george went coming out to all of them and them all reacting in different ways and it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It feels very awkward. I don't know how great of a moment it is, but man, George Went is so good and tells 15 different things on his face. As you see him going through the, do I take advantage of this moment I've waited years to actually be able to come out to my friends, or do I keep myself silent? And he tells a whole story there. And um, I wish that we let George Went do stuff like this more often because he's really phenomenal and um was the one time i was really engaged in in the movie i think is uh is that moment with george went yeah no agree george went great i love george went and i think he's good in this movie and Mm -hmm. i guess to transition he is in the moment that i picked as the funniest moment in this movie which Mm -hmm. is there's a moment early on where dump comes with his friends he's asked jackie to go get his bong from the you know, his room, that you have the poker game going on. Jackie has to give him the bong wrapped in his jacket. Of course, Dump, not thinking in any way, shape, or form, just picks up the jacket, and of course, the bong falls out, and Alec Baldwin has no idea what to do, like, what this is. They claim it's a musical instrument, and George went, the only person at this table that seems to clearly understand what that is, yeah. just with a wry smile going, oh, why don't you play a couple notes on it? And just, like, Dump trying to like kind of just like pretend it's a musical instrument that to me was again it shows why george went i agree with you is great in this mm-hmm. movie yeah he is and it is too small of a part in this movie unfortunately mm-hmm. but uh he just kind of sells that moment of just like the only person at that table that knows exactly what this is and wants to see how far this could go before yeah. it just like you know kind of goes this was a hard thing to find a funniest moment yeah. Like it, it was, it just really was. I don't think there was much there, but that was one that gave me a chuckle. There is one really, really funny scene that the film almost undercuts too much. But so um, we have mentioned, hold on, Dunf has this group of friends back home. I just want to read off his friends. They are Descends, Tommy the Wire, Mousy, and a guy named Drugs Delaney. And uh, there is a scene uh, soon after Dunf gets to Cornwall where uh, they have intercepted a letter from drugs to him. And he gets pulled into the dean's office and the dean reads the letter from drugs out loud. And I mean, it is 
the age-old joke of let's get the most prim and proper older man to read modern slang coming from this guy named Drugs. Um, But it works in this moment. And it's really funny just hearing him read these words and the ridiculous stuff that is coming out of this letter. Unfortunately, they keep undercutting it by then, like, cutting to drugs and having him say part of it and showing him lonely in his basement uh, and not seeming to understand that the scene is only funny or only works because you have an old guy reading uh, this letter to them. Yeah, when they actually show the letter being reenacted and everything, it, it yeah. really does. It's not funny. It doesn't. Um, and it, it kind of just... <laughs> yeah, which which I guess goes to my unfunniest moment. I, I find Drugs Delaney just a completely like one note character that's just such a bad stereotype. That's mm-hmm. just like every moment, and then they cheapen this movie again by having him die. Yeah, they he dies in like a in like an accident, which is like such a like. And you the, have... the dean comes and finds him in the shower to tell him, yeah. like your friend Drugs died. Like it's all weird. Everything with that character felt like a bad Cheech and Chong like ripoff. Mm-hmm. There was one of the reviews I was reading, uh, and I think they made the comment that earlier on in the movie where they're smoking, right, which gets them in trouble. They smoke mm-hmm. in the car. They end up rear-ending a police car, and yeah. they're they're all high. They've been drinking, and Dumpf doesn't have a license. So like mm-hmm. all this stuff, but there is so much smoke coming out of that car that someone was like, it, it's like a bad Cheech and Chong ripoff. Like, you, how did nobody in this neighborhood like immediately see this car and go like, oh my god, like come yeah. on, <laughs> like it's drugs just feels like again, it's like this is the Fairly Brothers hand kind of like on the scale of being mm-hmm. like really just it doesn't work. It's it's all bad, and there's nothing to that character. And he's the one who he's like, hey, take care of my little brother, because I guess he's the most responsible of all of them. Everything that comes out of his mouth is like sub unintelligible nonsense. I could have um, added the the whole, which was so clearly a Fairly Brothers joke. The van scene where he's having him do the paper route and he stops in the wheelchair, you know, clearly, you know, rams into crashes into the van. And I'm like, that's a Fairly Brothers joke. That's a Fairly Mm -hmm. Brothers thing. It's, you know, something out of Dumb and Dumber. It's, and yeah, and and that's mine. My unfunniest is pretty much any time that was one of them. Anytime that Fairly Brothers gross out humor comes in because it's so at odds with everything else that's going on in the movie and not to say that it takes away from it because it's all kind of a disaster, but like there's the flashback to you find out why they call uh, Irving jizz and it's just an uncomfortable, weird scene. There's several like that throughout that it's, we don't need the gross-out bodily humor in this movie. No, and and to be clear, when the Fairley brothers are working, when they really are doing, like there's something about Mary, or yeah. Dumb and Dumber, and the movie is constructed in a heightened reality, like both mm-hmm. of those movies kind of are, yeah. the jokes work. They are funny. Yeah, I, I am not, I am not anti-Fairley brothers, I don't think. Yeah. I do like Dumb and Dumber. Um, I do remember really liking Kingpin when I was younger. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think they can be funny exactly when they're making a gross out movie, but they're making 10 bad movies in this all jumbled into one and they can't handle uh, any of it. And I mean, I think as those of us who witnessed, you know, Peter Farrelly's Oscar winning triumph five years ago, 
maybe serious drama is not always their strongest suit. Yeah. This is yeah. where you play cue the Mahershala Ali scene of him looking at Viggo Mortensen. You know, like you know, this is you know garbage, right? Like, yeah, is, yeah. You, you've other never words. eaten fried chicken. Like, it, it it feels very. A lot of this movie feels very similar to some of those tropes that get used in Green Book. Uh, again, one of the one of the reviews I was looking at kind of said it the best, where it's like this movie is kind of trying to ground itself in an actual reality, right? Like, it's supposed to be like mm-hmm. much. Again, it's a coming of age story that's supposed to feel like a real world yeah. and the problem is that Cheech and Chong moment some of these mm-hmm. gross out stuff don't fit in a movie that's trying to kind of be this like take place in a more realistic reality yep. when you have the mm-hmm. heightened reality of the Fairley brothers like zany dumb and dumber there's something about Mary Kingpin worlds yes you can do that doesn't work as mo- well here so no. so, so we trip- do have another movie to talk about Ross yes. so let's move so, along here we're, we're moving along here uh trip this is now our favorite part of the show. They've heard, mm-hmm. you know, our audience has heard us talk, you know, way too much about this movie. And uh, now it's time to talk about the uh, critics and audience reactions to this movie. Trip, what do you think the average Rotten Tomatoes score is of this movie? Bad. Uh, let's say 25%. Shout out your answers at home. Uh, Trip, this is, this actually really disheartened me a bit. Uh, it is better than that. It is 52%. That's almost fresh. Like that. Yeah. Is, isn't that like what The Muse was last week? And like, it, I'm sorry. You, you are the correct. The Muse, not a good movie, but <laughs> a million times better than this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what other people had to say about this is David Anson in Newsweek said, this is a sweet, funny little movie. And with luck, it can survive the marketing con job. Outside Providence is winning enough on its own terms. Don't know. Don't know what else nope. to say there, but uh, I'm glad. Uh, nope. I, I guess my my answer is I'm glad David Anson liked it. <laughs> like, <laughs> but good good for you, uh, Roger and Ebert. Though you talked about seeing that Siskel and Ebert episode, or you remember that he gave it one and a half stars and says at the least the screenplay should have been rewritten in a consistent tone. An old man Dumphy should have been recast with a grittier actor and rewritten into a real father and not just a collection of blue collar cliches. Feel like you agree with all that stuff? I agree with all of that. It's one one giant mess of cliches. Absolutely. So, Trip, what do you think the good and fine users of Letterboxd? What is the average score of Outside Provenance? <laughs> Down low again. Let's say two point four. Uh, shout out your answers at home, uh, Trip. I don't know if we've ever had this happen, but you mentioned that the Muse got a fifty-two percent. On Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. And so did Outside Providence. Outside Providence also, just like the Muse, got a 3.0. 3.0? I don't know if we've also ever had movies in back to back weeks that literally have had the exact same scores. That's, oh, that's weird. That, I, yeah, I, no. And, and this confounds the The Muse made more sense to me. The Muse, okay, I get it. It's got a three average on Letterboxd. 52% okay. I'm mm-hmm. o- I'm more okay with that. Outside yeah. Providence, this is a much better view than I I would have thought for for this. Yeah, movie. that's just that's that's a mess. Uh yeah, very weird. Um this movie uh came out uh actually on September 1st, uh but it's really the weekend of September 3rd. It opens at 11th. <laughs> it made a little over 7 million dollars, made about 7.3 million dollars. On a budget of seven million dollars, so it kind of breaks even. Um, you know, okay, 
not terrible, I guess. Uh, the only other big release that comes out that weekend is a movie called Chill Factor, which I believe we may talk about in a couple weeks. Um, Ooh. So uh, there's that. Other films in the top 10 that week, at two was Runaway Bride, four was Bowfinger, seven was Mickey Blue Eyes, and nine was uh, last week's The Muse. So, okay, there we go. There we go. Trip, yeah. any of these, you know, you're probably going to rewatch probably Bowfinger this weekend, right? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. That, yeah, or, no, or maybe not, go back in time and see The Muse. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should, but uh, yeah. Did not see this then and wish I hadn't seen it now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> let's move along, Ross. Sounds good. Uh, what What else do we have here? We're uh, We're gonna look at Drive Me Crazy. Uh, yes. Can you explain to me what this one's about? Uh, great. I think this is a little bit easier to describe than Outside Providence. Do you? I don't know. D- a bit. Um. So Nicole and Chase are neighbors and attend the same high school. Nicole is part of the in crowd and on the planning committee for the school's big centennial celebration. Chase is an outsider who, along with his two friends, enjoy enjoys causing mischief and chaos among the school. But when Nicole's dream date for the centennial, Brad asks out another girl, and Chase is dumped by his girlfriend, Dulcie, Nicole sees an opportunity. She offers Chase that they go together to the dance in order to make Brad and Dulcie jealous. There is an easy out clause in this agreement. To, in the event that either of their true desired romantic partners wants to be with them. This deal requires total commitment on Chase's part as he begins to dress and act preppy to fit in with Nicole's friends. This upsets and angers his friends as they feel that he is changing for the worse. But this quote-unquote scam seems to be turning into a real item as Nicole and Chase clearly begin to have feelings for each other. At the same time, both Brad and Dulcie start to realize that they have made a mistake in their decisions. When Nicole's friend Alicia decides to mess with this plan by making out with Chase at a party, Nicole decides to possibly take Brad up on his offer to go to the dance while Chase gets back together with Dulcie. On the night of the dance, Nicole instead goes with Chase's friend Ray, while Chase is not there and instead is going with Dulcie to their local hangout spot. Both, however, realize that they have real feelings for each other. Chase ditches Dulcie and goes to the dance, and the two make up. And I will not spoil what eventually happens in the last scene of this movie, because I have a feeling we will talk about that later. <laughs> so, Trip, did this movie drive you crazy? And what are your thoughts on the Britney Spears classic that is the namesake of this film? The Britney Spears classic is much better than this movie, <laughs> because this movie drove me up the wall, Ross. That this is, we have seen a lot of teen comedies over the last four or five months together, Ross. We have talked about a lot of them. We have seen some great ones. We have seen some bad ones. But none of them has just confounded me like this movie does because everything about this movie is just so dumb. Like there is, it feels so generic and flat and boring. And I have no idea what the point of this movie is at all. So before I go on, is there something I'm missing? Is there some charm to this movie? I guess, so it's weird. I obviously have two connections to the two leads of this movie, right? So Melissa Joan Hart, obviously to me, as we talked about already in this episode, she is mostly, by the way, up until this point, really a TV actress. This is her first big lead role. Mm -hmm. The year before, she makes her first like kind of appearance in a movie and can't hardly wait in a small part, right, of that ensemble comedy. But really at this point, she is the star of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. She's also the voice of Sabrina on the animated series. Mm -hmm. She has done Clarissa Explains It All. In 1999, Melissa Joan Hart is a big part for me, right? Because 
I was a huge Clarissa Explains It All fan oh, when I when I was younger. I remember that. I had seen some of Sabrina. I know who she is. Yeah. And so let's just take it from Marissa Joan Hart. I think she's horribly miscast in this movie. And I don't think she's very good in it. And she's a likable presence because the character is so underwritten that you never know what she's doing at any point. I think it's a weirdly it's a weirdly structured character, right? Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, she is supposed to be this, you know, kind of she is the popular crowd, right? But it's also clear that she's part of them while also kind of feeling annoyed by them. She is smart to some extent socially, and yet dumb enough to not see that her be- quote unquote best friend is essentially like an agent of chaos, like yeah. in this friend group. And, and so like I guess they're the popular kids, but she also seems like like she's the annoying person who organized, like the Tracy Flick of the group. So, like, some people seem to like her, some don't. She seems like a goody two-shoes, but she also has this bad side, and that she's it's not really hidden. It's She seems just to be whatever they need her to be for the next plot point. Yeah, she's not a she's not a well sketched out character, which is the problem for many of the people in this movie is that and they're I just think, confounding characters that have motivations that don't fully make sense. And you go into this with a very clear opinion like Melissa Joan Hart, both Clarissa and Sabrina are similar characters, and there's yeah. a certain sort of type that you expect from her. And she's doing that in like twenty-five percent of this movie, and the rest of it she's just She's the screenplay's agent of chaos, Ross, in like, what do we need her to do now? Oh, let's just, you know, oh yeah, we haven't mentioned that she does drink. Okay, let's just go with that. Like, I was actually stunned that there was a moment in this movie where she is there and she is in just a, like she is in a bra, right? Yeah. Having this conversation with Adrian Grenier, where she is basically, again, she is the star of a teen comedy on, mm-hmm. you know, ABC as part of TGIF, Sabrina, right? Yeah. She's done Clarissa Explains It All, which is on Nickelodeon. That was actually maybe one of the more shocking moments of this movie to me, not because it's anything that's like actually in the world of this movie, it's bad. It was just, yeah. it was surprised to me that Melissa Joan Hart at this point is doing that or wearing the red halter top, which is a little bit more, mm-hmm. let's go with risque, than yeah. what anything on Sabrina mm-hmm. or Clarissa. Well, Clarissa was obviously in the early 90s but, but she's still, much younger like she has a very yeah, yeah. set personality exactly. to her and like, i think she is a very charismatic she is great on clarissa she's great as sabrina she is and both are teenage characters she's, she's charismatic in this but i yeah. just the just character is so all over the place i i never knew what to expect from the character and so i never really believed much of what she was doing yeah and and as for agent grenier now i am a person who watched Every episode of Entourage. And Adrian Grenier, I am a person who has never seen an episode of Entourage. <laughs> so. welcome, welcome to our podcast, A Trip Through Comedy, in yes. which we did just, yeah. um, Adrian Grenier, who, uh, you know, Entourage is obviously several years after this and will make him a much bigger presence to some extent and probably should just be Vinny mm-hmm. Chase for his life, as it seems like, because he's so associated with that character. He, by the way, he follows this movie up with Cecil B. Demented, which I sadly have not seen. It's a John Waters I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't love either. John Waters. I can't imagine him in this was movie. Was he movie. known, like, was he was not an equal to Melissa Joan Hart when this no, came out, no, no, right? No, no, no. So he's just like he's the good-looking becoming, guy that they find yeah. opposite her. He was and, in Celebrity the year before, and he's in The Adventure. Oh, no, so, yeah. 
and uh, The Adventures of Sebastian Cole are the year before this. And he had done two other movies in 97. This is definitely clearly a, hey, we think this guy might be able to kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. let's give him this opportunity. His character is confounding to me because I just don't understand. He is the rebel, but it's like they don't really like... At, he's the rebel, but then when he becomes a popular kid, he fits right in. Like there's so no adjustment. Yeah. Like it, he's a rebel, but he doesn't really want to rebel. He also has no character whatsoever. He is just whatever they need him to be in whatever scene yeah. they have. And Melissa Joan Hart and Adrian Grenet should be very grateful that we did a double feature this week because they have no chemistry whatsoever next to each other but the only people with less chemistry were the two people in outside providence so it automatically makes their relationship look a tad more natural what's what's fascinating to me about this is i was not aware of this until i was starting to prep for this podcast and um, you know, the movie's written by Todd Strasser and Rob Thomas. And Todd Strasser, mm-hmm. this is the only feature film script that he wrote. And it's based he's on a, book. He's a YA novelist. I know yeah. him, his name through that. And this is based on uh, a series of books. They yeah. all take place at Time Zone High School. It, it's how I created my perfect prom date, right? Mm-hmm. And this movie, by the way, was originally called, supposedly, Next to You, which I don't mm-hmm. understand how, I guess because they're neighbors, but was changed to drive me crazy because of the Britney Spears song that they put on the soundtrack. Rob Thomas, however, while he doesn't have a lot of films, he only, I think, really did like about two or three films, mm-hmm. Fortune Cookie in 98. And the movie that he wrote after this is Veronica Mars in 2014. The reason I say this mm-hmm. is Rob Thomas is a big TV guy. Oh, he yeah. created big shows in the last like 20 years. He did the 90210 reboot. He did Veronica Mars. He created that. He created iZombie. And he created one of my favorite comedies of the last 10 to 15 years, which mm-hmm. is Party Down. Which yeah. is great. I mean, mm-hmm. so he is a guy who, to some extent, creates these shows that are 10,000 times, you know, mm-hmm. better, more beloved th- than probably mm-hmm. this movie. And well, that's what's so fascinating. Maybe he learned movie. a lot from, from this maybe. movie. Because it, this, movie, this movie is just, it's, it's baffling in the complete lack of logic that it has from one moment to the The thing that, like, there's a lot of stuff in this movie, and especially where it's trying to have this kind of, I guess, quote-unquote commentary, right? Where his friends, you know, it's the idea of who wants to be popular, right? There's a lot of this stuff we we find out there's another person in the the popular group who, when they were younger, they were chubbier, and now they've Mm -hmm. lost weight, and they dyed their hair, and now they're in there. But there's this question of, like, you know, am I happier? Does this mm-hmm. make me actually happy? And That's then, a really sweet scene. I, exactly. I do like that scene a lot. And there's a kernel in here in this movie where there's an interesting examination of getting what you want, right? Becoming that popular in there. But does it really actually what you want? Are you just this visitor in this bizarro world, which it mm-hmm. to some extent is, right? For all of them. So so here's here's my double feature. And I think that these two movies would be much better if we swapped the creative teams around them. Because mm. I think Rob Thomas could have given some maybe some definition to like that school in outside Providence and mm. think about like what he was able to do with like Veronica Mars or some of that. Maybe he could have shaped that a little bit. And I really feel another thing that kept frustrating me about this movie as I was watching it is 
every time it started to do something interesting, it got bogged down by its PG-13 rating. Like, mm. it's, it feels so like a neutered version of what it wants to do that, like, I kind of wanted it to go into American Pie territory. I kind of wanted, like, bring on some of the Fairly Brothers energy into this movie and, like, give me some gross-out comedy in here or push the buttons a little bit more because it pushes them as much as it can in this like PG-13 older Nickelodeon sort of bubble that it's in. But like if it had really taken a stance and done something crazy, I think it would have been a lot more enjoyable. I think to some extent, the the confounding thing to me is people's motivations in this movie. And I one character that I tip I think typifies the mm-hmm. like I don't understand what this character wants or is doing is Ray. So, mm-hmm. so you know, Adrian Grenier's friend Ray, who ends up taking Melissa Joan Hart to the dance. And at one point, by the way, after, asks her- after, and, after he's been suspended, right? Yes. Because he's the guy who gets suspended for like four weeks. Yes. But gets to go to the dance in the middle of that suspension. Yes. Yeah. So don't ask questions about how that works. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, they, he asks her out initially in such an insulting and condescending way of mm-hmm. like- you know, well, I, you know, I I guess I'd be willing to take you since it's so embarrassing. If no right? one else will take yeah. you. And he is so against all these popular people and all of this mm-hmm. stuff and, and rags, rags on, you know, Chase for, for going through there mm-hmm. and how could you abandon us. Then you see him at the dance and he cleans up pretty well. He seems very yeah. genuine. You're like, what the hell is this guy's motivation? He's like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Yeah, Dave, on the other hand, his other friend, it makes more sense. Dave's Mm -hmm. motivations, to me, are a little bit more... Because Chase calls him out for it. You want what I have. You actually want to be friends with all these people. Mm -hmm. But you can't. You can't. And you're too nice, and you're too giving to these, you know, jerks, right? This is where the kernel of what they have as an idea is actually good at, right? Mm -hmm. But the Ray character, to me, just confounds me as to what is his actual mm-hmm. you know kind of motivations and and maybe this is why it's better that rob thomas moved into television after yeah. this because you know maybe had he tried to con you know condense all of veronica mars into a movie it probably would have been a disaster also right like that you can because he creates all these characters in this movie that are so all over the place that Maybe if you had given him 22 episodes, he could have made those contradictions make sense, right? And really get into it. But there's so many characters. And every time you turn around, they seem to be adding new kids into the circle of characters. Well, there's a lot of kids that have no, like, they have, I believe, names. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, it just, yeah, it's... It's weird. So, yeah, yeah. Um, do do you want to call out though any of those any of those younger actors or I guess adult actors, but none of them really stand out. No. Um, who you think are are interesting in this movie? Yeah, I I gave my best supporting turn to Susan May Pratt, who mm-hmm. we saw earlier this season because she is uh, Julia Stiles' friend in Ten Things I Hate About You. Mm-hmm. She plays Alicia in this movie. She is the agent of chaos in this movie. Like her entire yeah. character seems to solely be she she just loves messing with things. She mm-hmm. wants th- there is you know to to your point to some extent. There is no clear understanding what her actual motivation is, right? No. It doesn't seem at the beginning of this movie that her goal is I actually want to go with Brad. 
mm-hmm. right? It's not that. I think this girl just loves causing drama and mm-hmm. watching as stuff happens. And just she seems to revel in the idea of just causing chaos within this little group. And seemingly nobody seeming to get, like figure out that she's the one that keeps like kind of sneaking in these little things that divert, right? Mm-hmm. And and do everything. And, you know, I think she's having a she has more to do here than she did in Ten Things I Hate About You. Mm-hmm. I think that part in 10 Things I Hate About You is a much smaller part. But mm-hmm. I, I did kind of enjoy her just like causing chaos in an already chaotic Yeah, I movie. think I think she's really good. And I think that character is, like you said, so chaotic. But they don't feel that way because I think she's able to sell it a lot. She is really good. And every time she came on, I was then thinking back to 10 Things I Hate About You. Because I think 10 <laughs> Things I Hate help. About You and this movie – they're trying to do very similar things, but 10 Things I Hate About You deals with all of these ideas in so much of a smarter way with such better actors oh, that yeah. like, you don't even, yes, that it just, it makes this movie that much weaker. Throughout. It eats its lunch. It, it, yeah. it eats its oh, lunch. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, what yeah, about you, I'll, Trip? I'll call out, um, Susan May Pratt might've been my choice too. I think she is really, really good. Um, the other person I really liked in this movie was Allie Larder, who of course- is also having a really good year. She's also in Varsity Blues at the beginning of the year in maybe one of the most talked about scenes of 1999. But um, she plays um, the Adrian Grenier's girlfriend at the beginning, Dulcie. Um, And I think she's, she's really good. It helps that she has maybe the most defined character in that her character is just super liberal girl who is over high school. And so she can let's play that one part really, really well, but also I think mixes some of the confusing feelings she's having for Adrian Grenier through the movie really well. So I thought whenever she popped on, she was fun to see. Um, yeah, that's that's about all I really have to say about that. <laughs> I think she's um, fine. I I, I yeah. didn't, you know. Again, I also think she doesn't have really much to work with. Um, Mm-mm. In terms of like again, it's a, a character that has like a generic kind of thing. She's the yep. quote unquote bad girl, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, cares about things. But sometimes you're able to just kind of embrace the yes. stock part of your character, and I think she does that does that really well. And in a way, I don't always expect Allie Larder to. She's never been my favorite actress out there, and so um, I think this is some of the best I've seen her. Is there anything in this movie that that made you made you laugh, Ross? So. I did find it kind of funny. There's a there's a scene earlier on where uh you know Chase and his two friends decide to play a prank on the school by putting like I guess like dye in the sprinkler water that makes it orange and when the sprinklers go off at lunch it suddenly starts spraying orange everywhere and they end up in the principal's office. And the principal, we talked about Animal House earlier. The principal is played by and I want to get the uh exact actor's Mark name Metcalf. correct. Mark Metcalf, who is Niedermeyer from Animal House. One of the true teen movie or college movie villains, mm-hmm. uh, Niedermeyer in Animal House. Um, and the entire meeting is just him, basic them repeating the same thing over and over again. Just, you know, uh, yes. it's like sprinklers, sprinklers. <laughs> it's like just, he's just like, 
It's like such a bad meaning of just like, yep, we get it. And then he tries to check if they're high, but can't remember what the <laughs> test is. <laughs> like, I can't remember if it's supposed oh. to be your your pupils are larger or smaller. Like, he doesn't, it did kind of give me a chuckle because it was kind of a sarcastic whole thing mm-hmm. to this that I wish was more evident in this movie but it did give me a nice little he also at this point is just coming off a couple episodes of seinfeld of course oh he played uh bob cobb the maestro the maestro uh, who's kind of one of those one of those really great uh odd seinfeld characters oh yeah um, Absolutely. That, that's the first thing I thought of when I when I saw him in this. What, ah. that. But, what yeah, about he you, is, he, He's very funny in in that scene, and I uh, I had thought about that. Yeah. Um, I guess this is where we'll talk about the ending because <laughs> um, the ending definitely uh, made me laugh. Um, and also suddenly at the very end, um, Melissa Joan Hart and Adrian Grenier find all of this like electric chemistry together. Um, so. Uh, it ends, it's after the dance, they've kind of professed their love to each other, um, they're walking back, and um, she walks him to his back door, and uh, they kind of do this funny thing where like, he pretends that he's the girl, and she pretends that he's the guy, and they put on voices, and it's cute and flirty and wonderful, and then just as he opens the door to go inside, her mom steps out of the door and it turns out that their parents have been sleeping together this whole time which is about the most obvious plot twist that could come out of this movie like we all figured that out in about minute three of the movie but they save it for then and they're like what's going on and the parents are like well i guess we should tell you we're moving in together and no one really knows what to say it's so awkward and then uh they're like okay well, we're going to go to the treehouse and they walk away and the movie ends with them walking. I am assuming to go have sex in the treehouse, leaving their parents speechless. And it's a weird ending, but uh, I found it pretty funny. Trip, this is the most confounding ending we've had in any of these movies. I saw this for the first time again, earlier in 2023. And when that moment happens, I literally just went, wait, what? Hon, hon, which, which, moment, which moment confounded you? I think it's the idea that th- we're setting up the idea that essentially this movie ends on the idea of, so our parents are now hooking up. They are in some sort of relationship. And we're now going to, and there's not a, re-watching it, I had forgotten that there's a scene earlier in the movie where the mother confronts, you know, Melissa Joan Hart and is like, yeah. hey, I heard you're seeing, you know, Chase. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, we've been hanging out. And she's like, oh, yeah. oh you shouldn't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously she knows something that her daughter doesn't. And at the t- at the moment, the audience doesn't fully know, which is, hey, yeah. I'm sleeping with his dad. And this is going to be super awkward if this ends mm-hmm. up happening. Because if we end up together, there is a possibility that you're going to now be in some weird relationship with a guy who's like possibly going to be your stepbrother. Like, yeah. That's how this movie ends, is that they are going to possibly go down this road, and yet they're going to still date. And you're like, 
Where's that movie? Where is the movie that, that happened? I think more than this? any other movie we've watched so far, I want the sequel to this movie. <laughs> the sequel actually- I want the movie of just the four of them trying to navigate this new living situation. For and a teen like comedy. This is an insane way to end. <laughs> it is, it is. And like and the idea of Melissa Joan Hart that like they're just gonna be able to call their parents out on everything, right? Like, well, if you guys are sleeping together, then we can sleep together too. Like there is so much possibility in this ridiculously horrible ending i just it's that's why i said of all the endings we've done especially based off the fact that as we said this is a pg-13 it's a teen comedy this Mm. is an insane ending for that yeah and the movie just goes well we're just gonna go to the treehouse you guys think about everything that's going on and you're like and, and coming off of a movie that, like, and this is why I said earlier, I kind of wish this movie had been rated R, because there is just, all of these characters are so horny, this entire movie. And there is just this layer of sexual tension portraying through everybody in the movie that just, like, you just want to see it push itself a little further than it actually does. It's it's just, that's why I wanted to save the ending talk, because I'm just like, it's just this moment where you're like, it comes out of left field for the movie you're watching. Like, it's yep. such a, it's such an insane ending to this movie where you're like, wait, yes. what? I don't understand. And that's where you end? You end but- on that? <laughs> But you know what? It was my favorite part of the movie. Uh, What's, but, and not just because it was the end of the movie? <laughs> no, no, not just because the end. At that point, I want another 90 minutes. Like, let's keep going. Like, let's go. give let's me, drive it. me crazy, too. Let's see it. Um, <laughs> drive but, uh, me crazy, true, under one roof. <laughs> driving our parents crazy. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what, Ross, do you want to talk about anything that's unfunny in here? Anything that bugged you? So the funny thing was, is when I was trying to think of like, quote unquote, the unfunniest moment, again, I don't think there's like a super amount of stuff in here that I was like, oh, this is is bad, right? No. There is a small thing that just really bugs me. I am am Jewish. Uh, I get very sensitive whenever we start using Nazi and Holocaust imagery in things that just feels really uncomfortable, especially in places where I just feel like it's really uncomfortable to put it in. Like in in Drive Me Crazy. Like in in this movie. And there is a moment in this movie where I understand what the purpose of it is in there. I just didn't like it. And it was, there's a moment where Ray, the reason Ray gets suspended is he makes this video that he sneaks onto the television station. By the way, at no point in my high school was there a television station. I feel like only in movies they have this. That there's like we had the, one in my junior high, actually, but not wow. my high school. That's fascinating so, yeah. to me. I walked off camera once. That's a whole other different story. Oh, so. not for on air. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he sneaks on this video that's essentially making fun of all of the quote-unquote in-crowd, right? And the song that's playing during mm-hmm. is like, I'm cool with the in-crowd. And it's showing how mm-hmm. silly they all, how ridiculous, and showing them barfing at parties and, you mm-hmm. know how drunk they look and how bad they look. And there's a moment and then where he, in, he intercuts it with like pictures of animals too. So yes. like, like, Oh, this girl's like the crane or, you know, this kid's like the hippo. Like, yeah. yeah. And there's one part where they show at the basketball thing while they're all doing this dance and they're all like kind of doing a cheer together that they're supposed to look like a fascist rally. And they show then clips from, you know, like a Nazi rally. I get your point. It's still, it, it's so not, I was just like, no, thank you. I don't need you to put this into my very, what is essentially a frothy, silly teen comedy. You don't need this. The whole video scene is stupid anyways. Like, I didn't find any of that sequence 
intriguing at all. But yeah, once you start cutting into the Nazi rally, it's like, yeah, I guess this is the sort of, you know, inane things that those students might come up with for that video. But no. Don't worry, he's going to win MTV VMAs, though. He he is. Yeah, because he made that weird music video that impresses We did not talk about this, and I was so happy to see this. Also in our Hall of Fame of bands appearing in movies. Oh, uh, is that a real band? That is a real band. That's the Donnas. And I okay. highly recommend they had a, a a hit with a song called Take It Off, which is a great song. It's a very fun song. They are fun in this movie. Like the music, whenever they play the music, I'm like, again, like, right there, they were fun. Um, I think they broke up uh, several years ago, but uh, they are a fun in, band. In their, and- in their pink lady jackets. One of many Grease images in this yes. movie. Like this movie cribs a lot from, from Grease, which is odd. I also didn't find anything really unfunny. There is one point um, where one character calls whoever the main guy is, Chase. Chase. uh, Calls Chase a social R word, um, which kind of irked me a little bit, especially because it's coming from from your favorite there, um, Alicia. Yeah. So um, that kind of agent of chaos. But I don't know if I really believed she would have used that word. Um, But other than that, yeah, mild movie. Just, yeah. So, Trip, our audience has heard what we think of this movie, but now it's time to guess what critics and audiences think of this movie. Uh, Trip, what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is of this movie? And before you guess, I would like to now point out, no, it is not the same as Outside Providence <laughs> and The Muse. We did not, not get three in a row, all right? Oh, <laughs> Just oh, to be it, clear. It, it has to be lower than 52%. It has to be like... Otherwise, you're walking off this podcast. 35%. Shout out your answers at home. Uh, Trip, you are too high. Uh, oh, so maybe your faith goodness. is restored. There uh, we go. 29%. Okay, yeah. 29% on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. Um, it's some fun things i found uh chuck klosterman who at the time was writing for the akron beacon journal uh chuck klosterman gr- a very interesting writer and has gone on to much bigger things but i guess yeah. at the time was writing movie reviews for the akron beacon <laughs> journal uh he gave it two and a half stars but he began his review with drive me crazy is like a teen movie that came out of a paint by number kit okay that sounds about right yeah um, you know who also was surprisingly kind of a fan of this movie? Uh, Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars. Don't know where that came from, but okay. uh, he because his is out of four. We should clarify. It's two and a half out of four. Yeah. So um, that's, yeah. To, and uh, he said, Drive Me Crazy is slight and sweet. Not a great high school movie, but kind of nice with appealing performances by Hart and Grenier. And then he wrote a little later, despite my affection. I can't quite recommend Drive Me Crazy. The good stuff needs more energy behind it. I don't think this movie has energy. I just don't think it's doing anything interesting. So, so again, two and a half stars more than I would think, right? So, Trip, Drive Me Crazy, what do you think the good people of Letterboxd have rated the, the average ratings of this movie? Oh, I... <sighs> I can't even imagine that there's nostalgia for this. So um, I'll say it's also down there. I'll say it's like a 2.6. Trip, I, I, I should have clarified. The, it wasn't the same Rotten Tomato score, but it is the same letterbox score. Another 3.0? Another oh 3.0. Here's oh. where I think you are misunder that you are underestimating people's nostalgia. I do think there's a lot of nostalgia for Melissa Joan. I do think people hold her in a lot of, especially that era Melissa Joan Hart, in a lot of well regard. And this is a frothy enough movie that I think people are just kind of like, 
Yeah, but a meh is like two and a half stars. A meh is not three stars. You you are correct. I don't know where this comes from. But yeah, 3, 3.0, the third movie in a row that we've done that is exactly a 3.0 average. Oh, on, uh, at, on at, at least tell me that there was other better stuff coming out this weekend. Uh, yeah. This, this did not rule the roost. Uh, no, it opened at 6 that weekend. It okay. o- comes out the weekend of October 1st. The other three big releases that weekend are Three Kings, a movie mm-hmm. we will talk about later on in this season. Which I, I I would guess is probably where you would have been. Yes, I did see that movie when it when it came out. So um, I have not seen it in the twenty four years since then. So I'm really excited to revisit that movie in a couple of weeks with you because I'm curious as to how it holds up. I remember really liking it when it came out. Yeah. So the other movies that come out that weekend, new to this weekend, The Adventures of Elmo in Grouchland, starring uh, Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> that's our mandy yes. um, um i have i have seen that movie not in 1999 um, <laughs> but uh watched it once with my older child when uh they were about three or four and they were terrified by it and never watched it again ah, there we go and the third movie that comes out that weekend is another future episode for this movie uh for our podcast mystery alaska okay uh, don't know anything yeah. about that one so the other comedies in the top 10 is also another future episode for this show <laughs> it is Blue Street. Blue Street yeah, King was number that four is. that week. So, okay. Yeah. Sounds so, Trip, we obviously were not super thrilled with either of these movies. No. Um, what is a better movie that you would recommend to pair with these? Just slightly better, slightly. I think. But uh, slightly better. But um, I think both of these movies um, really deal with the um, bad boy, good girl relationship in high school movies right where they're both kind of girls who are on the quote-unquote right track who uh start for whatever reason relationships with uh kind of rebel guys and so i went back to maybe the movie that set this template out in 1955 and that's nicholas ray's rebel without a cause uh with james dean and sal minio and natalie wood all of them are phenomenal it's uh such a classic movie if you have not seen rebel without a cause like it's i think it's one of those movies we know james dean in the red coat so well and we know the images and the movie is really able to to live up to them um and also talking about i think we've seen several like sitcom people in these last couple movies give really great performances uh jim backus who i think most of us only know from gilligan's island as the millionaire plays natalie wood's dad in a just heartbreaking dramatic turn he is so good in this movie um as is natalie wood one of my favorites of all time and selminio and of course, James Dean in maybe his most iconic part. So um, if you've never seen it or if you haven't seen it in a while, it's always worth checking out. And I think uh, would would play well with either or both of these movies, uh, yeah, which, which to... riff off of its basic idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is this is an all time mm-hmm. classic. And I actually think Jim Backus is um, James Dean's father. Oh, he's James Dean's father. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. And he's great. And it's also a movie about masculinity, examining masculinity, mm-hmm. you know, the relationships with your parents, the relationships, you know, that you have with these friends and, and where you see as a teenager your future and an mm-hmm. uncertain future. I, I, yeah, it's a great movie. It's a classic. Yeah. Will, William Hopper plays her father and uh, also is a good, um, a, a very good performance. So, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I went a little bit differently. Uh, you know, look, I as I enjoy a New England set movie. I enjoy Connecticut and my home state, even though this this movie, Outside Providence, did not do necessarily justice to my home state. But I went with a different New England boarding school movie. And I went with a movie that just came out in 2023 and is one of my favorite, like in my top five of the year. And that is The Holdovers. Um, it is a truly fantastic film. It is also written by uh, a person who went to boarding school in Connecticut, based this kind of, to some extent, in some respects, on his own uh, personal experience. Also, by the way, fun fact, the writer of The Holdovers, one of his first writing jobs was also on a Nickelodeon show, uh, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. So, you know, get a Nickelodeon connection there too. Uh, it stars uh, Paul Giamatti, Divine Joy, Rand- Divine Joy Randolph, um, and uh, Dominic Sessa as, uh, you know, Paul Giamatti plays this just cantankerous teacher who is stuck watching the these group of kids at a boarding school who aren't going away for uh, Christmas break. And in the end, it gets pared down to really only Dominic Sessa's character. It is funny. It is extremely moving. It is a movie that if you want to see a much better version of, we can do humor and we can also do the drama parts, That this movie is fantastic. It made me miss New England Winters, the beginning of this movie, which is um, set to a, a song called uh, Silver Joy, which is a, a song that when I first heard it, I thought it was straight from the 70s. It is not. It's by Damien uh, Dorado. As they're walking through this snowy campus, it it is a really really fantastic movie directed by Alexander Payne, who obviously would have a connection to this year. He this is the year of election. Um, it is a truly uh, really good movie that surprised me based off of the trailer. It was so much better than that trailer, which I think is a fine trailer, but makes it look like a much more goofier comedy than it actually is. Ross, you're making me jealous. <laughs> Alexander Payne, one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, I will even defend some of his lesser loved movies uh, pretty staunchly, but um, I haven't gotten to see it yet. But um, I'm, well, I'm looking forward to it. Well, so and this is where this is On where peacock. we are we are recording plenty early. So I know that by the time uh, we're actually recording this late December, we are mm. uh, trying to get ahead here. So I know by the time you all hear this. Uh, I think it comes out on Peacock like in two days. Uh, yes, in, I was gonna uh, say as of our recording. So I, I will have seen this, and um, you know, I'm sure in a month I will be telling you know the trip of the future would be like yes, this is one of the best movies of the year. So I will getting uh, texts. I'm, I'm sure I concur with you, Ross. Yes, that, it's um, a when I see it. It's a it's a movie that seems to be getting a lot of love. Uh, Divine Joy Randolph seems to be um, right now kind of the front runner. Um, for uh, Best Supporting Actress this year right now. She yeah. has been doing very well. Um, and I give a lot of credit also, I should say, uh, Dominic Sessa, who um, has not acted. They basically cast him. I believe where they filmed the, the, the movie, the school they filmed it at, is actually his high school. They found him there. Um, he had done just basically some like school theater. And um, he is really good. He's really awesome. good in this movie, and I'm very intrigued to see what uh, Dominic Sessa does next. But yeah, Divine Joy, Joy Randolph, so good. Paul Giamatti, so good. Um, yeah, go check out The Holdovers. Yeah, by the time you're listening to this, it's yes. on Peacock. If yep. you are one of the people that have it, watch it. <laughs> yeah, and also in theaters, in theaters now. and Yes, uh, and it will prob- probably, probably be... Probably a rental by by this point. So, yeah, yes, and definitely. it might come 
back because obviously usually as the Oscars get closer, it's it's a possibility for a Best Picture nod and those movies start coming back out into theaters. See it with an audience because there is a lot of humor to this movie um, that's very fun to do. Trip, you're looking at Letterboxd. You see those gray stars. You're turning them green for both of these movies. What is your final ratings for Outside Providence and for Drive Me Crazy? Um, Outside Providence, I'm giving one and a half stars to. I just, I really found that movie painful. Um, Drive Me Crazy is is stupid. I must admit, um, I was never really bored with it. <laughs> like I, because <laughs> I never really knew watch. what was happening. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll be generous and give it two stars. I think it is the slightly more competent of the two movies this week. But um, skip both of them and uh, watch Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. Um. I kind of have the same difference of a half star with them. I'll be honest, I originally had Outside Providence a little higher, and during this conversation, I downgraded it because I remembered, yeah, there is a lot more to this that I didn't like. So (laughs) I gave Outside Providence two stars solely based Mm -hmm. off of Amy Smart. You're welcome, Amy Smart. Thank you. Um, And I gave Drive Me Crazy two and a half. I think it is just frothy enough. And as you said, it is a really easy watch. Like, it's not like anything that, like, you're not going to be, it's an, both of these movies are 90 something minutes. Yeah. Drive Me Crazy is very frothy. It's it's very easy watch to do. So of the two of them, absolutely, I think it's the much easier watch. But on the list of high school movies we have watched this year, oh, it's not, there are so many better options yes. out there than either. Of the, I think these are probably the two worst of the high school movies we've watched. Yeah, watch 10 Things I Hate About You again. <laughs> yeah, or American that. Pie, or even Never Been Kissed. As weird as that movie is, I think it... Um, it <laughs> talk it's about weird. <laughs> more interesting weird than, than this. So yeah, yeah, talk about weird movies there. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah. In the meantime, Ross, what... Uh, <laughs> are we just... The car going to keep going down the hill next week? Where are we, <laughs> where are we headed? We'll, we'll see. We'll see, Trip. Next week, we will be watching... Love Stinks. It is available to stream on gets a deep breath here, Prime, Pluto TV, Tubi, Freevee, the Roku channel, and Plex. Or you can rent it on Amazon, Apple TV, or YouTube. And I forgot to say this last week. Or you can find it see if your local library has it on physical media because we here at A Trip Through Comedy support physical media and local libraries. Trip, do you know anything about this movie, Love Stinks? I know nothing about this movie, but if it, if it is available at so many fine streaming <laughs> services, it must be a masterpiece, right? So like many it, free streaming services. I, I, I don't. And just the combination of Love Stinks and 1999 studio comedy make me really worried that this is going to be like um some sort of like farting love story or something. I have no idea where we're headed. I don't know who is in this movie. Um, but it just, yeah. So I have not seen this, but I have seen on Prime. It has popped up when I've scrolled through Prime to like look for another movie or something like that. Okay. And so I was like, oh, sometimes they play the trailer if they have it available. And so mm-hmm. I have seen the trailer for this movie. Um, I will tell you, it stars uh, a person who in 1999 probably was having a pretty darn good career at that moment. That is French Stewart. French Stewart from um, The Rock and the Sun. Yes. Yes, this movie starts okay. French Stewart. Well, we have already seen French Stewart this season. Yes. In My Beloved Movie Dick. 
So maybe, maybe this will, yeah, in, I think he had about four lines in that movie. Yes. Made it bearable, but I don't know what this, so French, French Stewart farting and falling in love, like, I don't know, in some sort of cheese shop or, um, something. I, I just, I'm really afraid there's going to be a lot of fart jokes in this movie. I personally love that the rest of this season and podcast, I'm now just picturing this segment as you as Albert Brooks and the Muse just pitching yeah. your, your big studio Hollywood comedy. So there's French Stewart and he has a flatulence problem, but he falls in love with Carmen Electra and she <laughs> is only attracted to the smell of flatulence and it turns her on and they run off together and oh, buy an aquarium. <laughs> We bought a cheese shop starring cheese shop. French Stewart and Carmen Electra. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, in in the meantime, if you want to spoil Love Stinks for me or uh, anything else, you could find me all over the uh, the interwebs. Uh, I'm at Trip Burton 13 on X and Blue Sky and Threads and all that, uh, along with Letterboxd. Uh, where are you, Ross? Uh, you can find me at R Bratton on x slash twitter blue sky threads letterboxd um and you can also find on trips letterboxd a great list um compiled of not only the movies that we've covered on this podcast but the recommendations like rebel without a cause and the holdovers and uh you know lots of other movies that are better than outside providence yes uh you can also uh find the show at all those places um at attc pod uh especially on instagram and blue sky really trying to push those two Uh, Or you can email us uh, at a trip through comedy at gmail.com. Just remember trip has two P's. Our theme music is so alive instrumental by John worthy music. You can find his work on the free music archive or wherever you find music. And as always, we will see you farther along down the road. Well, you think about it here, and we'll go think about it in the treehouse.